Um, I've got a picture up there. It's a wedding venue. It's not a, a, an ordinary wed wedding venue by any estimation. Uh, that is in, called the Unfinished Church, and it's on the northeastern tip of Bermuda. I know it's not good to be thinking about uh, uh, fantastic holiday destinations when you can't get any further than Port Rush, but at least it, it will give you something to think about. Uh, that building, they started to build it around 1870. And but they're sort of hit by a perfect storm, as it were. There was a tropical storm, but there was also a lot of church infighting, and uh, there were some financial difficulties, which means that the, the church was never finished. So they've, they've got the walls, they've got the pillars, there's no roof, there's uh, no floor, uh, there's no windows, uh, but I suppose in the weather you can still have it uh, as a wedding venue and, th and things like that. But a book that I was reading a, a little while ago was using that as a, a parable of the, the difficulties that churches can, can go through at times. And the w drawing out the idea, of course, is that the church as a project, if we put it like that, is not finished. It's something that Christ is continually working through. He's working in us. He's trying to perfect us. But taking that image of an unfinished church, it is that continual reminder that... There, I mean, there, there are certain strengths about that building there, but it's far from perfect, obviously. And we can think about our church today. The church globally is that there are a lot of good things, a lot of positive things, but there still are weaknesses. Well, we're in it for one, which, which does make a, a big weakness to church. We're, we're far from perfect. And even in these COVID days, we, we can certainly see what it means that the, the church is unfinished, that there's a lot of work that still needs to be done. And we can think about that, the unfinished church, from the perspective of Christ's work in and through the church, in and through us. But there's also a way that we can think of the church as an unfinished project from the lens of our own lives, in that we know that we as individuals are far from the finished product, and that we also know that we get easily distracted, and that even though we know what we should be doing, even though we know how we should be engaged in and through the life of the church and what is most important, we can still get distracted. And that's the, the theme that I'm going to draw out a little bit more later on as we do read in a few moments that first chapter of the book of Haggai. We all suffer from being distracted. We notice how easy that is as a relatively new dog owner. It never ceases to amaze me how distracted our dog can get. I, mean, I want to go from A to B. I want to get there quickly, efficiently. And yet the dog is distracted by any number of things. 
But I shouldn't be worried about my dog because I know that I'm exactly the same. If I'm supposed to be doing something, if Nora has given me an instruction that I should be doing something about the house, somehow uh, I end up in the study because it's a nice place to hide. But when I go in there, the computer's on, I can check email, and before I know it, I have found out the average temperature in Bermuda. I have found the top five tourist activities in Trinidad and Tobago simply because you can. No other reason, because we get distracted. And let's look today at this passage, Haggai chapter 1, and I think what we will see is that there's a people here who have been distracted. I started this series a number of weeks ago. I'd hoped to be a little bit further advanced than we are now, but uh, so I'll need to recap some things again. Uh, we had simply looked at the first two verses the last time, so we're going to read today, I think, through the first 11 verses together. But let's hear God's word. If you have the book of Haggai open, uh, Haggai chapter 1 and verses 1 through to 11. It's a call to build the house of the Lord. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down the timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expect it much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty? Because of my house, which remains a ruin while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and on the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces, on people and livestock and on all the labor of your hands. We pray that the Lord would add his blessing to his word. As I've been saying, and certainly the last time that I was preaching from this passage, the people of Israel, at least some of them, have now returned from the, the period of exile 
50,000 of them, and they've come back, and they've been charged with rebuilding the temple, rebuilding the house, which was the focal point of the religious life of the nation of Israel. And even after some initial difficulties, and there were some uh, trials even early on, they managed to get the, the foundation laid. And there, the work stopped for 16 further years. And then it's at this point that God's word comes. And you see it there in verse 4. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? I think what's apparent is that the people have become distracted with other things rather than giving themselves to doing the thing that God was calling them to do and to be part of. In other words, the people had adopted wrong priorities. They had made the assumption that some things were more important than others, but they'd made the wrong choices, just like we do each and every day, because as I was mentioning a few moments ago, we can easily get distracted with so many things. But it's worse what God is saying here is that when it affects our relationship with God and that we're not putting God first in the way that we should. So that's the plight of these 50,000 people. This, the nation of Israel, or at least the ones who, who have returned, they've come back with, with a vision and a passion and that they want to, to rebuild God's house, the temple, but they've lost their way. And what they got lost their way doing is, we see here, it's building their own homes. And we can understand that as the, the people have come back, of course, they, they want to build homes. They need shelter. They, they need to be farming. They, they need to uh, get food. They need to get drink. They need to have these things. And, and God fully understands that. But what becomes apparent in this passage is maybe the, the level of, degree that they've really entered into building their own homes, because these are no ordinary houses they've been building. But in verse 4, we get this sense that they're living in paneled houses, not simply a bare house to give them shelter, but it's the, the ornateness, it's the degree of attention that they're giving to these houses all the time while ignoring the one thing that God has asked them to do. So God has not become the big focus in their lives. God is not the priority that he should be. And because of that, God says, I've been sending you a warning shot. Look around you. Consider what's been happening. You have been out of the country for 70 years. During that 70 years, the ground has been fallow. There's been, nothing has been growing, been producing on that land. And of course, that's why it says here, you expected much, you expected a bumper crop. And it would have been right to expect that, but it didn't happen. And so God is saying, consider your wish. Be careful. Maybe the next slide's coming up. That's a significant little thought. It's going to come out a couple of times in this passage where God says, give careful thought to your ways. Look around you. 
see what's been happening. And as you see what's been happening, take note. And as you take note, question and think about your priorities. And even more so, that there's actually a play on words which is in the original Hebrew here, which you won't see as in our translation. But if I remind you about how Hebrew is written, in the, in the main, you only need consonants. You don't need vowels. You can put them in if you want, but it's almost like an optional extra. And if you want to do it quickly, you just put in the consonants, which means that even two words without the vowels that are completely different, they look the same. And so the Hebrew word for ruin looks identical to the Hebrew word for drought. And so that's the contrast that you're supposed to see in this passage. As that God is saying, my house is in a ruin, therefore I have sent this drought on the land. You expected a huge bumper harvest, but it didn't come. And because it didn't come, you should be thinking to yourselves, what's up? What's happening? Give careful thought to your ways. See what you've been doing. Take time to think. And then as the next slide comes up, there's another significant little phrase that's in here in verse 10. And that phrase is simply because of you. Because of you, this has happened. Now I'm sure these people were coming up with lots of reasons why they hadn't got a good harvest. They'd come up with lots of reasons why things were going wrong, but I wonder had they ever thought it was because of something that they had done, something in their lives that God is pressing and that God is pointing a finger at. And that's why if I go back then to my next slide, God is saying again, and he says it twice in this passage, Give careful thought to your ways. And that's the challenge to all of us this morning. To give careful thought to your ways. Look at your life. Consider what's happening. Consider your priorities. Consider your focus. And as you look at those things, just ask yourself, is God saying anything to you? Because so often we are quick to explain away the difficulties and the things that come into our lives. And I, I guess these people would have been saying things like, yes, we know times are hard. Times are difficult. And because of that, because times are difficult, I need to go light on God. That's why we've stopped building the temple. Because we, we needed to get food. We needed to get shelter. And because it's been a real struggle, I haven't time to do the thing that God is calling me to do. But what Haggai is now saying to the people is that no, things aren't hard because you haven't been, or sorry, times are hard for the very reason that you have given up on God. Times are hard because you have not been doing what God has called you 
to be doing. Now, I know it's not always the case that you can draw a line between something that you have done and usually it's something that you've done wrong and God's answer to that, as it were, being seen that something has gone wrong in your life because of sin. You can't always draw that line. You can think of people like Moses you can think of people like Joseph. You can even think of Jesus himself and bad things happened to them and you can't say it was simply because they had done wrong because that's not always the case. But I think we do need to allow ourselves some space for the possibility for us to consider as we are thinking here that things are going wrong or things aren't the way we would like them because of something that we have done or because of the priorities that we have adopted ourselves or because we have got distracted in some way or another. So even in these terrible COVID days, is it the possibility that God is actually trying to grab your attention in the middle of all of that as you think? Where am I with God? What is my focus with God? So even though I know our, our normal reaction when we're stressed or when we're up against it and when there are difficulties, our normal reaction in all of these things is to temporarily, we say, put God on the back burner. I know what God is wanting me to do. I know what I should be focused on, but I haven't the time to do it because all these things are going wrong and I'm really stressed about all of this. But going here, Maybe God is saying to us, this is a wake-up call. And I want you to think about your priorities. Whenever the people of Israel, for the very first time, went into the promised land, Moses gave them a warning. If you want things to go well, then don't give up on God. And he was reminding them of that need to obey God and to be doing what God was calling them to do. Jesus said much the same sort of thing in a very, very different way, but Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 says, seek first the kingdom of God, and all these other things will be given to you. You can see that sense of priority, but our natural reaction at times may be to be distracted. So those words that are on the, the screen just now, those words that remind us to give careful thought to your ways is an encouragement to look around you. Look around at your own life and what's been happening and consider, is God saying something to you? Putting it very practically, when times are hard, what do you put off? When you're up against it, what's the first thing that goes to the wall? Or if I could ask another question, what's the thing you never give up? What's the thing that you never divert from? So when you're facing difficulties, what's the first thing that goes? And what's that thing that never goes? Haggai here is speaking about priorities. And I think, of course, in these days, in these moments, our lives, your life, my life,
This is relevant because God is speaking to us because some of us actually may be content with what we have, even content with what we have of God. We've in some ways managed to be doing quite well. We've got God in a box. We've got him sorted. We've got him, and we think we're, we're doing what God, or we're doing the minimum of what God wants us to do, or so we think. But God, if I go back to that image of building, is building his church. It's not finished. God has the bigger plan, a plan that we are to be part of, and he's calling us to be part of, to be building his kingdom. And as we as a church are thinking about how we, we come back together, yes, we, we know, and I've seen that little phrase on Facebook on little times, yeah, church on the sofa is great, but you can't serve Jesus on the sofa. And even when it comes to what we want to be doing as a church together, we want to serve and honor Jesus. But maybe you're saying, I can't, what does it really matter if my priorities aren't sorted or if my priorities aren't focused or if I'm focused on the wrong things? Does it really matter? Well, you know, I think it does. And I think it matters to the person who has been wounded by some experience of church. And they may need your presence, you as the one who is able to come alongside them as an agent of grace and to restore them. But if you've got the wrong priorities, if you've got the wrong focus and you're distracted with other things, you're not in the place where God wants you to be. So it matters to the person who needs encouragement. There may be someone right here today in this place who needs a special word of encouragement, but if you are distracted with other things and you're not where God wants you to be and you're not being open to the Spirit of God to listen to what God is saying to you, you will not be able to provide that for that person who needs it. And so to that person who might be irritated and disgruntled and maybe even frustrated and on the verge of giving up with Jesus, you could be the one that God is calling to draw alongside. You know, ultimately, getting our priorities right, it matters because the church is Jesus' masterpiece. And Jesus is working in that and he's building that and he's building us together. And he wants this church to be marked by love and by our commitment and our unity together. And even though at times we may be a little bit bruised and battered and beaten down, when we passively, even passively ignore what God is laying on our hearts because we have got the wrong priorities. The church will not show, demonstrate the fullness of what God wants to show and do in this place. Ultimately, I think this is a tender-hearted thing. It's about being open to the Spirit of God. Listening to what God is saying to us listening to how the Spirit of God is guiding and leading us, and then focusing on those priorities 
not being distracted, even though some things may be important, but doing the things that God is calling us today to do. Maybe just if we could pause just for a few moments, just as we reflect upon that. Let's pray. Lord, we can get so easily distracted and we can get very content within our distractions and we can justify our distractions to you. Lord, show us yourself. Reveal your will to each of us. You are working in us. You are working through us. Lord, may we have as great a passion and a vision for your church and your kingdom as you yourself do. So Lord, challenge us. Convict us. But give us attentive ears, attentive hearts to be doing what you, God, are passionate about. Lord, lay your word on our hearts. And as we reflect on those words of Haggai, give careful thought to your ways. May we see how you are guiding and leading us, Lord. Give us that vision. And we pray in our Savior's name. Amen.